This is the Drive-In Podcast. Take one. Bada big bada boom. Welcome to episode 138 of the Drive-In Podcast. On today's episode, we have our episode two reactions for She-Hulk. So use the bathroom now, grab that popcorn, and enjoy episode 138 of the Drive-In Podcast. Howdy, Judy. Welcome to episode 138 of TDI, our second episode of the week. This is Dr. O on the horn to start per usual. I'm joined by, as always, the one and only Ricky Flex. How are you, my co-host, my best friend? Joe Pesci is back. Joe Pesci is back, and I did not see it coming on Peacock. Did not yeah. see it coming on Peacock. Put that on a quote board. I got mixed emotions about this, Ricky Flex. I got mixed emotions. I I, I kind of love the idea of Joe Pesci going out with an Oscar nom for the Irishman, working with Scorsese, teaming up with De Niro for one final ride. And we're looking at potentially his final project being, what is it? Oh, a Peacock production with with Pete Davidson, right? About his about Pete Davidson's upbringing. Not exactly sold on this. We're gonna talk we about bodies, bodies, bodies. We bodies. Oh, we're going to talk a little bodies, bodies, bodies later with Pete Davidson. But uh, the fact that I just love Joe Pesci and I just love seeing him work. So I guess it's just an interesting combination. A volatile actor with someone who's kind of known for alongside someone who's known for being sort of a a-hole, right? In most of his movies. I could see him having good chemistry with Pete Davidson. Shocking statement, but I could see it. <laughs> I could see like Pesci like just talking a million miles an hour and Pete Davidson just shrugging his shoulders and saying, I don't know, shut up. Like I could just, I gotta, I just, I don't, I could see like Pete Davidson very much a low key guy versus like a hostile Joe Pesci. I don't know if Joe Pesci still has a hostility going into his eighties here. That's the problem. I don't think it ever leaves. Good fellows full throttle with Pete Davidson. Funny how, funny how, and then just keep berating him. And then Pete Davidson clapping back at him in his way. Right, like he was doing it in bodies, bodies, bodies. I would love that. That would be great. Making fun of his height, like, you know. We'll 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 figure some stuff out. Do you think we need like another like a Pete Davidson content show or movie or side project related to his life? I feel like he. I feel like Pete Davidson's almost like tired of doing projects about his life, like King of Staten Island was semi like autobiographical, the Judd Apatow movie from a couple of years back. At the start of the pandemic, his stand-up, he's talked about right his upbringing and how he lost his father during 9-11, and now we're getting a show about it. Do you think it's just like they're he's, it's almost like hitting us over the head with it? You know, it's, I know it's passion that he's like having this project, but I just feel like I've been hearing about it nonstop throughout his career. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I do think it's way overdone, right? I don't know how many people that has gotten more than one, like – project about themselves autobiographical i guess you would call it and let alone he does it in his uh, comic sketches so, so it's or skits or whatever you want to say so it's like they're stand-up stand-ups so it's just like oh like what like why do another one and on peacock peacock this must be just like peacock asking pete davidson to do it because they're desperate we've talked about the streaming numbers they're struggling really struggling even with xfinity behind them really struggling compared to everyone else so pete davidson popular and big name Someone that's very that attracts audiences that could be helping with with subs. Let's throw a bag at Pete Davidson for and for him to star in it, and then let's throw a bag at Joe Pesci to somehow come back out of retirement for this. I don't know how they still got him because it can't just be about money. Because for sure Joe Pesci has been throwing bags before for other projects. So why this one? Why does he care? We'll see. Like maybe it's like a Steve Buscemi thing uh, related to firefighters nine eleven possibility maybe it's like that with joe pesci i'm not I, but steve Buscemi has a direct correlation with that so is there something similar to that that joe pesci can relate to 
as to why he's doing this project. That must be it because it can't just be about the money. He has enough of it. He's been offered probably more than whatever Peacock's offering, so it can't be that either. So what can it be? I can see him playing like a grandfather to Pete Davidson or a neighbor, like comforting him after the loss of his father, maybe someone who raised him over time. Uh, and I, they must have been thrown in the bag. And, but but just like as you said before, like Joe Pesci is one of the most popular actors of his generation, and he had taken decades of a break like from acting until The Irishman came along, that amazing opportunity to unite with Pacino and De Niro and Scorsese for one final ride. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he just saw something in this project. He maybe he likes Pete, Pete Davidson's style. Like he seems like a very polarizing actor, and seems uh, in the fact that a lot of people think he has a lot of potential. A lot of people think that he has no talent. So it seems like he's very much down the middle, and uh, it'll be interesting. And I, I could, and it kind of reminds me like Pete Davidson is chemistry in King of Staten Island with Bill Burr, very good. All right, I'm not gonna say. I, I was thinking about that movie the other day, and I think I overrated it. When, at the time I saw, I think we were just craving for movies at that time, non-theatrical release, right? Had to rent it digital, right, in order to see it. But uh, I think his chemistry with older actors usually works. And then, into, I guess, segue into Bodies, Bodies, Bodies a little bit. Pete Davidson is actually the older actor among an ensemble that is much younger than him. Him alongside Lee Pace. So we didn't want to devote an entire episode to Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It was one of the, I guess, major theatrical releases of a lackluster August in for movie theaters. A24 release, very well on Rotten Tomatoes. is hovering around 90% audio, uh, critic score. I just want to get your initial thoughts on the movie. And uh, do you think it worked? I think it worked. I think it worked. I liked it. All right. I did like it. Um, saw it in home theater, Simsbury, Connecticut, same town, Rachel Sennett, co-star in this film is from. Uh, I liked it. I thought that for an A24 film, though, it wasn't ambitious. This played it safe, in my opinion. And that I didn't like. I think for a whodunit, especially like trying to like, I thought they did a great job portraying the stereotype. Gen Z influencer, trust fund baby, uh, like narcissistic young Gen Zers. I think they did a great job with that. Like, great job. I think it all worked. All the characters and actors did a great job. Uh, I just, like, very good, like, very good job, to be honest. Like, great performances. I can't, like, single out anyone for not being good. Like, everyone was good, I thought. Um, there's definitely people that were than others yeah sure but i think everyone did their job at the lowest point which is like hard to do for a young cast so good job there i just don't think that it was ambitious enough it wasn't it wasn't ambitious enough it was just a simple movie which is fine it's fine it's just that for a24 that's not what we're accustomed to we're looking at everything everywhere all at once and how ambitious that was right we're looking at all these other a24 movies that are also simple the lighthouse but that was ambitious and critically successful. This was clearly like, hey, let's pull back the reins, do a fun whodunit, a fun summer movie that can connect to younger audiences with some young stars that are rising. And then we throw in a Lee, uh, Lee Pace, a Ronan from the MCU, and also Hobbit star, right? And then we throw in a Pete Davidson to attract maybe a little older audiences also as well and see if it works. And I think it works. It just wasn't great. Yeah, I thought it was good. I don't think it's a very I don't think it's high-end A24 work. I agree with the fact that it wasn't that ambitious, very satirical. I thought almost too over the top at times in terms of the stereotypes for the Gen Z. I predicted the ending of that the like the way that movie was going to like play out from the beginning. Like I I'm not no spoilers here, but I was not shocked whatsoever by the ending. Uh I thought the best like and for a movie that it's diving into the toxicity of Gen Z friendships, the distrust among friends and the use of technology. Uh, I think out of the cast, I actually thought Lee Pace did the best job. And I found it, it, this was like, and the way it was satirical, it definitely was more, I think, comedy than horror and thriller. Like There was definitely some moments they wanted to have you kind of like cackling of how absurd like the language that these teens use. But I think it's even funnier when Lee Pace is trying to like understand the jokes and it was, he's very much um, resemblant of like the millennial or even like the baby boomer that tries to understand this new lingo and slang that kids are using. I thought he was used perfectly in this movie. Pete Davidson, I thought was okay. Pete Davidson just played Pete Davidson. 
and uh, the young kids. I, I was kind of disappointed with Maria Bakalova. I feel like we uh, might, we might have anointed her too quickly following Borat too, and it's such an unorthodox role. And people are kind of questioning: Was it because of Sasha Brown Cohen and the situations he put her in? that she was able to be successful in that movie and the style of movie that Sasha Baron Cohen loves to make. I just thought she was just like a vehicle to move the story along. And I was kind of looking forward to seeing how she operated among this young cast. And she kind of is like, when you look at the young cast, she is like the outsider because she's the most known in real life. There's like a little bit of a meta aspect going on there too. And uh, there's, I think a lot of talent there. I think Rachel Sennett, Really promising young career, too. And uh, Amanda Stenberg is also a big up-and-coming name. I'm excited what the cast does in the future. But I thought good, not great, and uh, a little bit predictable. Yeah, and just to keep harping on the cast here, I guess just since you went down the list, I'll go down the list real quick. I also think Lee Pace was utilized the best out of the bunch. Yeah, I like Lee Pace a lot. Good. I think a lot of this movie is like obviously about the quarrels inside the group, the Gen Zers stereotypes, right? But also like the quarrels and character developments and like relationships throughout the movie. A big aspect here, the toxicity and the toxic environment here. And I think that he brought a perspective, right? And then the other perspective that was different from the group was Maria Bakalova, a foreigner. Yeah. And also someone that's probably more like us where not a trust fund baby, not a narcissist, not... Um, an influencer just a overall good person or just normal person uh, just viewing everything so i think that's why those two were in this movie i also think that she was just she was probably just average i don't yeah. think she was very great um and then it was also i thought it was weird seeing her as a normal person after watching borat too like that's just her being her i'm just like I'm just thrown off by watching this you know right and they don't give you like a good point of view lead Right, because her and Stenberg kind of like share the lead, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I think they share the lead, and like things come up about everybody's past. And I think that they were like trying to be so clever with it. It's just like, no, we should just have a strong lead for this movie. Pick one of them, and then just run with it. And what they did basically, but run with that lead, really taking the lead of this movie. They didn't have a clear lead, which also I think was a drawback for us audience members as well. Um, but. Also, just to, also when you just mentioned, is this a horror? Is this a thriller? Is this a comedy? This is definitely a comedy because I think like every time this tried to be suspenseful and tense, I think it was so dark in that house and you couldn't really see anything. The jump scares weren't jumpy at all. This wasn't scary at all. This definitely was a comedy and by the ending especially for sure. And I think that the house in general, because everyone's stuck in the house, that's not a spoiler. I just don't think they did a good job. Like, like you couldn't, like there weren't, you didn't see any of the traps or any of the house's structure or the stairs. You didn't see that. They didn't do a good job setting the scene inside this house. They were so focused on, oh, we got to do this TikTok dance and this TikTok song. We have to refer to this going on. They were so focused on that and also the toxicity within the people rather than setting the scene with the hurricane and the house. So then, that's just all related to the comedy and character development rather than also setting up the surrounding elements, which us as an audience member would have loved to have seen. Yeah. And I just wanted to add up as we kind of finish this mini review. Uh, I thought Rachel Sennett was pretty hilarious. Shout out Simsbury hilarious. in Connecticut. I thought the moment where she was talking about like podcasting, where she's like, you have to grow an audience. You know how hard this is. You have to prepare guests. Relatable. And I was just like, like I was like capping to myself. Cause I'm like, yeah, I do know how hard that is, you know, with a semi-successful podcast. It is hard. It is hard. That's how it goes. I, but, she, and, but but it's also like I, I kind of don't like how movies today when they like, have characters that are focused that are podcasters. When you think of like the like Ghostbusters Afterlife alongside this movie, and then you have what the Godzilla, uh, the uh, was it um, Godzilla Kong. Godzilla Kong with Brian Tyree Henry's character, like just like that podcast. Like I feel like I'm I'm, I'm a little I'm take I, I feel a little offended by the way like these movies are taking podcasters and kind of like saying like yo chill out like you guys are just making fun of them a little too much and that like and we're talking about those movies at the same time just feels a little meta. Yeah, and also with Rachel Senate, I thought she was also like for the comic relief inside the comic relief what I usually call it. She was awesome. I like no bias. She was awesome. Very good. The, and she was also a good, like we talked about Maria Bakalova and Lee Pace's reasoning, like 
for their perspective. Also, Rachel Sennett, I'll say among the group, wasn't like she's still not like character wise. She wasn't a good person either. And it was interesting because she would always try to like refer to herself every time someone said, oh, I'm a drug addict. Oh, well, I used to be addicted to or like stuff like that. Narcissist. Was, yeah. Yeah. Again, the narcissist in her. I thought she portrayed that incredibly well. And again, she's coming out with the idol next along. Like she's a supporting character alongside the weekend. Lily Rose Depp. Um, uh, who else is in that? Sam Levinson's like created like creator of Refora is also producing that. So like huge project there. The Willem Dafoe movie with Lily James and Joe Curie from Stranger Things, that project. So it seems like this is just the start. This is just getting her feet wet in Hollywood. And she's just going to go up and up, not only popularity, but critically as well. And I'm incredibly excited to see what she does. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, did you have a score? I like, and obviously, obviously, like Rachel Sennett, like if she's listening to this, like she, maybe she knows who we are, members from high school and stuff like that. Come on the podcast. Let's discuss your next movie. We'll film the foe. We'll talk little bodies, bodies, bodies. Open invitation. We'd be honored to have you on the podcast. But other than that, Ricky, like honored. Have bodies, bodies, bodies. Uh. This is a tough one, obviously. Um, I, th- I at the end of the day, it was good. It's just I wish it was more. Uh, I'm gonna go seventy. Okay, yeah, I had a 78, 78 for this one. Not cracking the eighties. It is. It's a solid A24 film, but I definitely don't think it's the best. I I did want. I do want to have an A24 draft. I do want to have that at some point. Let's get the top billing going. Uh, potentially with the next A24 film drops i'm not sure which one that is but i think brandy just got cast in the 824 film when i was looking at twitter wow when you hear brandy when you hear the name brandy what do you think of kobe yeah i think of kobe bryant yeah right taking her like taking her to prom like that would like that is one of the greatest like stories of a high school prom ever arguably number one that that and the guy who didn't taylor swift go to prom with somebody wasn't that a thing back in the day I don't know. Um, maybe. Ah, I feel like that was a huge internet thing. All right, let's keep moving. So I I do want to talk about – this is like the season of weird trailers just because like this is like artsy-fartsy films as we move into award season in the late fall and into the winter. We have White Noise, which is like a $200 million Netflix movie uh, based on the book White Noise, a critically acclaimed novel. Yeah, Adam Driver, Greta Gerwig, and Don Cheadle – uh, in Noah Baumbach directed White Noise. So the film's releasing later this year on Netflix. Hard to tell what the movie's about. Uh, seems like a dysfunctional family at times. Seems like an interesting setting. Yeah, Adam Driver wearing like this, this almost like a wig, graying his hair out a little bit. Greta Gerwig, pretty unrecognizable. The poster comes out too to go alongside the trailer of them looking up in the sky. Like, is this extraterrestrial type of thing that we're looking for? Um, I never got that vibe when I ever heard about white noise but then again i never read the story it's getting a lot of buzz potential awards contender any thoughts on the trailer trailer was good just a teaser trailer like minute long not too crazy don Cheadle, you just got to look at him nothing else uh greta gerwig looks unre- almost unrecognizable with the hair and everything it's adam driver almost the same but you could just tell it's adam driver just by his face and nose no offense um it's it's interesting this novel is very famous I've never read it. I don't know the story. And you know us. We're not going to read it nope. before seeing the movie. <laughs> so don't ask what we know about it. But what we do know is that it has two great leads sur- surrounded by a good supporting cast and a great writer and director who also ri- like adapted the novel here and also is directing this. So I'm very excited for it. This is Netflix. Another Netflix big splurge but not on a true action movie. It's on a, a like a movie that might be a, a contender, Oscar contender. So it's going to be interesting because Netflix said that they're not going to be doing that anymore. We're not going to be going for the, they basically said we're not going for the Oscars anymore and we're not also spending big. So it's like, again, we talked about it so many times, not trying to hit your, uh, hit, hit your heads over again and again, but are like, they don't have a clear vision. This is still part of their old vision. So maybe this is a last chance here. I have high hopes for this movie and this trailer just kind of confirmed that, yeah, I'm still excited for this movie. Finally, the trailer comes. We saw something happy. 
Yeah, so it's like leading up to a pretty exciting awards season for Netflix this year when you talk about White Noise, and then you have uh, uh, Knives Out 2, right? Glass Onion and Knives Out story, I should say. We'll see what Netflix brings us in the winter, and we'll see. Um, and then going along with that, uh, did you see the trailer for Tar? I did. Kate Blanchett, Blanchett. Todd, Todd Fields directed movie. Yeah. Really weird. Really weird. I'm a little bit scared of it. Like a lot of like smoke in terms of like like I don't know if that has a it's a theme that's gonna be across the movie, like Kate Blanchett smoking, other characters smoking, like rooms full of smoke, and also just like quick pans and then quick cuts and then some scary music in the background. No idea what it's about, but I think that's like a theme of a lot of these like awards awards contender, these trailers are usually about a minute to two minutes, never over two. It's not a blockbuster type of trailer, just trying to garner some intrigue. Definitely has my intrigue. I don't know if I want to watch it like to based on this it's, trailer. Just, uh, I don't know, just something that doesn't look like it's piquing my interest enough where I'm like, like, like White Noise did, or even Empire of Light, the Sam Mendes movie with Roger Deakins also involved too that we talked about on last episode. But um, yeah, what are your thoughts? I... I I know you're. It sounded like from last episode you're higher on Empire of Light, as in just going to see it in excitement than me. Mm -hmm. I put this in that same category, maybe a little uh, down the pecking order, but in the same category where am I going to go pay to see this movie in theaters in December where there's going to be a bunch of releases? Probably not, if I'm going to be honest. Probably not. But will I see this movie? For sure. I've been reading about this movie for a long time now. It seems like Kate Blanchett's going to put in a a, a solid performance here uh possible oscar contender as well performance wise i don't know about the movie but performance wise got some blacks like seeing the trailer got some black swan feel to it you had the music that was, that's what it actually felt like and also like yeah the, the trailer with don't worry darling when you have like the like you have like the uh the ballet dancers and the quick pans and like the quick cuts in that trailer almost had that vibe speaking of don't worry darling not to change subjects but we didn't talk about this yet on the on the pod yesterday or last pod the clip of uh harry styles yeah that seemed like uh the reason it seemed like they wanted to put it out to prove that harry styles has the chops a lot of buzz like it seems like olivia wilde's trying to bolster like the harry styles like actor hype train right now she said yes. that also he moved the he moved the cast to tears and moved the cast and crew to tears with a certain with a certain scene in the movie and a certain he said like he was screaming his lines he was so into it it seems like he like trying to like hype up the boyfriend a little bit getting some oscar buzz going when this movie releases i completely agree i don't i'm not buying it i am Neither not I. buying it and don't get sucked this in clip, after seeing this clip confirmed not buying it and I, I think Florence Pugh is just gonna put him on his her back. He's gonna put in a good shift, but nothing special. And yeah. Florence Pugh might put in a special performance. So I'm looking forward to that. And again, this releases September 23rd, I believe, in theaters, and not during December. So if you're if we're trying to hype up Harry Styles for an Oscar nom here, he better put in a heck of a shift. And I just don't see that at all carrying into oscar season and harry styles also is going to be in my policeman and then after that he said he's going to take a break from acting so he's got two major roles coming in potentially critically acclaimed not critically acclaimed but like awards like almost not bait but awards like uh, potential contenders i guess uh lastly i kind of want to transition from the artsy fartsy to the blockbuster realm jeffrey dean morgan although we're talking about a show here has been cast in the boys season four season four has begun filming for the boys no idea what role he's going to play in this show we also got a, a behind-the-scenes footage with the boys literally uh, flick, uh, flicking off the camera from behind-the-scenes look and M.M. looking cut, right, compared to last the first three seasons of the boys. But uh, I guess what are your thoughts on Jeffrey D. Morgan being cast? I personally think he's a great fit relationship to he seems a supporting role in a lot of superhero movies. Not a lot, but you have him in The Walking Dead as Negan. You got him playing Thomas Wayne in the Snyderverse in the DCEU. What do you think about the fit here? I think it's a perfect fit. I love this. I And I think I originally tweeted out how I want to see him next to Homelander smashing, doing just doing like I'm just picture Negan. I want that. I want that in the boys. And I originally said next to Homelander, I scratch, like, scratched that. 
I want it next to Butcher. Him and Butcher as a one-two punch would be electric. They could and be brothers, bro. <laughs> and the Negan, the they could be brothers. The Negan comedy with the Butcher comedy, put those together. That's like that meme where you're the, the guy's like putting the stuff in the pot and he's like backing away from it, and then he puts it in the fire goes like that's that meme. I yeah. want it. I need it now with this news, and I can't wait for the boys season four. Yeah, it's perfect addition. And like what he brought is Negan. Like that's the last time I watched Not Walking Dead was his introduction and his first Electric. season in Walking Dead. And he brought an element to the Walking Dead that made it worth watching after those first six seasons. We're like, oh, I gotta stick around for season seven because Negan's here. It's been pent up so much, and he absolutely murders that role. Uh he's in another superhero movie. It's a non- marvel or dc i forgot what it was it's not kick-ass but it's something like that is it the losers maybe yes the losers gotcha but so it seems like the boys love like casting these like type of actors that have strong fan bases right and they're like jensen ackles with him with supernatural his relationship with aaron kripke it seems like he has a very strong fan base when you go on twitter it seems that jeffrey dean morgan's kind of falls up and falls up in that vein and i like how they take not like these major Hollywood leads, like basically like to, to promote this movie, they're taking like the backups, the second hands. Let's give those guys a platform. And like, even like a Carl Urban, like he wasn't a big name actor. He was in the Star Trek. Like he was, uh, what's his name in Star Trek? Uh, the doctor. Doc, yeah. Uh, uh, Bones. Bones. He plays Bones in Star Trek. He does dread in a movie that doesn't gain a lot of traction, and he's the lead in this movie. Like it's like they seem like to find these guys who are secondary in most people's minds and then give them a platform to shine in the boys. I love it. Do you get that same vibe? The losers. (laughs) That's what I thought you were gonna say. Um, the losers, they do, and they do a great job with it because they are good actors. It's just you gotta put it, they're like actors where they don't make the movie because they're not A-listers or anything, but the they play around the story. And when they're in the right story, the right mindset, the right, right framework, they thrive. And that's what this is. And Jeffrey D. Morgan as well. We can't forget Watchmen, comedian. Oh, that was it too. As well. Yeah. So we can't forget that as well. I did but forget yeah, this, that. <laughs> this, is, this is a great addition. Absolutely love it. Like This is just like the ideal casting. Ideal. Yeah, perfect. Uh, with that being said, it does it for the news portion of this podcast. And I think it's time to move on to episode two reactions for She-Hulk. Uh, so dropped on Thursday, all episodes will, on Disney+. Plus. Another 30-minute episode. Uh, Ricky Flex, do you think this new episode was better or worse than the first one? Give me your impressions. In my in, First impression, much worse. I agree. In my I'm in the same boat. I don't know what why I'm seeing the opposite from everybody i don't i guess i'm seeing headlines uh finding uh its groove and things like that i think the opposite i think this and i think it starts when you press the play button when you press the play button on a disney plus show usually it's like 38 39 40 minutes and they have like six minutes of credits so it hits a little over the half hour mark when you hit the play button for this episode it was 30 minutes almost flat that means this show was like 22, 23 minutes. For me, that tells me this was a filler show. This was a filler show, and that's exactly what it was. This just expanded her origin story, right? You introduced to the family, and it just sets up the rest of the season. And I think they already did that in episode one, and they could have just made that an hour and made it easier. Nope. Instead, we're going to do a filler episode here with Marvel references the more feminism, not subtle feminism themes being in the workplace, yeah. in the workplace, especially at the bar, everything, um, family cringe. Um, what I did like, which I wish they sent around the episode centered around the episode was like the proving yourself, getting that new job, not out of your actual work and resume, but by your looks or what you are like, you know what I mean? So it's just like, they should have worked around that. And then subtly, feminism, Marvel references, and whatnot. Instead, no, we went the opposite route. So for me, this was a big underachievement compared to episode one. And my takeaway afterwards after um, was, if they're in LA and she gets a new job in LA, how is Daredevil going to play a part in this at a Hell's Kitchen? I don't know. 
So I agree with a lot of your points. I, I agree with the runtime. I think that's actually that actually played a detriment to this episode. Uh, it was boring. <laughs> like, there was not much that happened. It was a lot of time with her like trying to find a job, her getting a new job. After the first one, you had the great interaction between Hulk, and then you have her basically on her own. You get a short little bit of Hulk in this episode that we will talk about and what that whole scene means. But I found myself afterwards kind of more excited for what the future holds rather than what I just saw. Like, um, like you talk, like I didn't even notice the Easter eggs until I looked on Twitter afterwards. I think it was hard to kind of find those Easter eggs. Uh, We'll get into those in a sec. This is a spoiler, obviously. Hopefully you've seen She-Hulk. This is a reaction episode, a reaction review. Um, But yeah, I love like her one-on-one with Bruce Banner made the first episode. And that was like juicy uh, compared to this one. It's like her finding her groove. But also you... You're teasing Emil Blonsky, and you're, it kind of puts where the it, where we are in the MCU timeline. It seems like it's also just establishing um, the story still, and not much pushing forward. Right? It's like teasing, 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 but we're already two episodes through. I believe there's nine episodes in this show, so two down in 30 minutes, like for each of them. Maybe you extend that one a little bit, and then you have her do some She-Hulk stuff. Like the only time we saw her She-Hulk was in the bar at the beginning, where she did nothing, and then her walking through the workplace, and that's pretty much it that you get with She-Hulk. I found I, I do want to talk about the humor here. Um, I don't think it was very good. I think there sitcom was sitcom cable feel to it. There was definitely a lot of cringy comedy. Um, whether it's the dude giving the interview where uh, the the person interviewing the guy after like kind of reflecting on that moment in the courtroom where she kind of goes ham against Titania. And then also I will mention no follow-up to Titania in this episode, which I thought also was a little bit weird and just didn't make sense after barely knowing anything about her in the first episode. Uh, Like being named She-Hulk, very cringy. That dude at the bar who uh, worked with her at the first firm, I found very awkward where he says, I'm going to go find a chick to like, hit on or something like that. He says, uh, I'm going to find go it, like, talk to it. And then also, I think Dennis was the guy's name. Then when she goes to uh, visit Blonsky, like no superpowers inside. Like I cringe at that type of comedy. And then also her brother Chet is intolerable. In, like, like just makes you suffer whenever he's speaking. I hope we don't spend much time with him. That whole sequence, I didn't love either when she goes to family dinner, although you get to know like what her dad's like and that type of relationship. To me, all boring, too much talk, not much action. Yeah, for sure. And just all the themes just aren't subtle at all, like I talked about in my initial reaction. And the family dinner, yeah, like that seemed out of place and pointless. But then the dad pulls her away. So I guess that's what you can go with, the reasoning behind it. But I think the acting there was pretty bad. Yeah. I don't think it was that that good. So it just it felt not CW drama level, but acting level. And that also played a part in my like, this is like reaction pod, basically, because we just watched it this morning. It's like, yeah, like it's kind of like a cable sitcom. Yeah. And then the fourth wall break that they've been bragging about and how it's like similar to a flea bag. They do it once this episode. Uh, it seems like they're not really buying fully into the fourth wall break. They'll just do it once per episode. I think, I, I, well, they did it like what, twice in the first one. Twice in the first one. The beginning and then also when she's with Hulk and Hulk hears her. But like when Hulk hears her in the first one, she does the same thing in the workplace with Holden, her boss at the new firm, and he doesn't hear her. So I feel like there's not there's something not consistent I, about the fourth wall break there. That's another thing with the fourth wall where it's it feels so forced and they don't do it often enough and clear enough. Like you said, the clarity of it is just off to make it work. I just really think it's not working at all. And I think like if you think like Deadpool fourth wall break just has an ex- a clear, obvious example. It's like everything else stops around him. And that's what you're focusing on here. It's like she's walking with her boss while talking to her boss. And then it's like a run on sentence. She like looks behind to us and starts talking. It's like, oh, she's talking to us. That's just like very not clear. And again, you barely have it. So when you do have it and you don't utilize it correctly, it's even more apparent how bad it is. 
Yeah, it's just like if it was a little more consistent, maybe throw two or three moments in there, like really take on that identity. It makes it not feel as forced. When you do it that one time, it's like, oh, you were just looking for that moment when she's in the workplace. And what is a woman feel in that situation? I get it. You can do that, but do it also at the bar. Maybe you throw a little quick quip right there. It doesn't have to be an extended run on sentence like you're talking about. Just a quick pan to the audience. This is what's going on. This is what I'm thinking in the moment. Boom, done. Uh, I do want to talk about, because I think what was exciting about this episode is actually what's going to happen outside of She-Hulk potentially. And there are a couple things that are set up in this episode. Let's talk about Hulk. All right. Uh, first off, she has a phone call. She wants permission. So She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters, wants permission from her cousin, right, Bruce Banner, to take on the case, the parole case for uh, Emil Blonsky, a.k.a. Abomination, played by Tim Roth. Uh, when, during the conversation they have on the phone, right, Hulk says, and the very, this is a funny joke, and I actually really did enjoy this, a very meta, where Hulk is talking about his running with Abomination, and he says, that was so long ago, I'm a totally different person now, literally. And that literally that he says, obviously referring to the fact that Edward Norton is the Hulk yes. that takes on Emil Blonsky in the 2008 The Incredible Hulk. And I found that to be one of the best jokes in Marvel history because like <laughs> finally they acknowledge that. And it's like something that's like hung over their heads. Like how much are we even connect Mark Ruffalo to the 2008 incredible Hulk. And that's, I think it would doing it that way in this show was so perfect. Like, and I'll, I'll let you speak in a sec. I just want to finish what the scene kind of encompasses. So then you have uh, the phone call ending and then Hulk, you find out once he hangs up, he said, he's got something to take care of. And then he is on the ship that appeared uh, from Sakaar in the first episode in outer space. So amazing cell phone reception for the Incredible Hulk there. I would love to know who his uh, supplier is in that aspect. But what do you think about that sequence and uh, the joke, I guess? Yeah, I agree with you on all fronts with the joke and the conversation. I think shifting to what he's doing on Sakaar, it seems in the Twitter sphere and Marvel conspiracy reddits is that in the comics, he had a son on, on uh, Sakar named Scar. So this could mean that he could be going to his son, which he doesn't know about yet. And, or if he doesn't want to be the Hulk forever, this could be a good out for him. So whenever he does stop being the Hulk, he could just, or like Mark Ruffalo, that is, he could just, they could just say, say like, oh, Hulk is on uh, Sakaar going into the future. I think that this could be a setup for the end of Bruce Banner. I think the opposite. This is the opposite. We are going to get, I think, off of this, a Hulk solo movie that we've been desiring for so long. Mark Ruffalo has talked about, Right, the, like he's wanted to make a Hulk movie for so long. The rights issue between Universal and Marvel is something that's been ongoing for 15 years. But guess what? I did a little research, Ricky Flux. So according to the direct, I did a little internet uh, Google searching, and it, I, I got this quote. And it says, "As the quote, as the Incredible Hulk hit theaters in June 2008, the 15-year period indicates Disney will regain distribution rights to the Hulk character in June of 2023." at which point Marvel Studios would be able to begin production on a Hulk movie that Disney themselves would distribute. I think we're building up to a World War Hulk movie. In World War Hulk, the comic book storyline, you have Scar, his son, playing a major part in that story. There's also another separate comic book storyline uh, where it's not World War Hulk, but like uh, he goes to the planet. I don't know how the exact story goes, but it builds on Hulk's relationship with his son. Right. So I think very interesting. That And I think it's almost guaranteeing that we're going to see more Hulk in the future, which I love. Like, give me the World War Hulk movie. We've been dying to see a further exploration of Mark Ruffalo as the character since he debuted in 2012's The Avengers. I think he's going to get his opportunity. I think he really wants it, right? Mark Ruffalo can do whatever he wants. He's going to keep doing the, the critically acclaimed projects that he always does. But given the Hulk movie, he very much deserves, similar to like how Black Widow got their project. Hawkeye got their project, give Hulk a movie. He deserves it. He's a big enough character. I think it's happening. Okay. 
you caught you got me with the June 2023 comment. Yeah, I you got I, me. So it's lining I, up perfectly with this the, show. The sun it's comment makes sense. The sun comment makes sense. Yeah, no, it so would definitely why, make why sense. Why else would Sakar be there? We were thinking from episode one. This kind of makes sense, and that would kind of lead into a movie. And saying with the rights clarity, that yeah, I'm with you. But I do think after the movie, that could mean the, that they could get it out there after World War Hulk movie or whatever Hulk movie they decide to do. That could also be an out after that. Well, Hulk so, yes, Secret Wars for sure, right? You would assume so. You can't. You can't not have Hulk in that movie. Like, right? Iron Man. Will Iron Man even be in there? Will like Captain America? Like all these major players from Secret Wars in the comics, they're dead or they're retired. So like <laughs> you already have prominent members missing. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not in Secret Wars. But he's also a part of this multi, what is known as Phase Four through Six, the multiverse saga. He is literally here for the multiverse saga, you know. So I feel like he's going to be in that movie. I also want to talk about the fact that on the ship, make I think it almost it helps lend to the idea that his son is on Sakar, based on the comfortability he is he has on the ship. He doesn't seem like he's he's uh, like scared or afraid of what's happening he doesn't seem like he's panicking he like has his arms folded above his head it seems like he's kicking back and relaxing i think the next question that we have to ask is do we know who his mom is that the, the child's mom is if it is the son that he's going to see and the only person that i would think of is valkyrie but no, no way that happened but that's the only like woman on Sakaar that we come to know that has a relationship with Hulk and Ragnarok. So who do we just not know who it is? That's my prediction. I don't think we know who it is. I think they'll take it from the comics, whatever it is in the comics. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, they're just going to do that. I think I'm happy for our guy Ruffalo. I think this is going to, we're going to get a, a finally an MCU Hulk movie. I think it's coming Ricky flex. Uh, I do want to move on to another potential like a uh, project or another a future of an mcu character let's go to emil blonsky and let's go to the scene where jennifer walters transforms back from she hulk back to attorney right jennifer walters goes to emil blonsky uh looking to like kind of see if she's going to take on this case wants to hear his side of the story i just wanted to get your initial impressions on this scene and tim ross reintroduction into the mcu i think it was all right i think it was good um namaste vibes to it of course i think more so that's interesting is the ending related back to shang chi is that a variant or is that the emil blonsky that we saw her speaking to uh that's what i'm more interested in as a takeaway in this whoa in this show um that's what i'm really interested is he really namaste or did he actually escape prison and go to that or is it a variant that's what i want to know by the next episode I loved this scene. This was my favorite scene in the episode uh, just because it really gave you a different perspective on Abomination. Um, the fact that it sets him up as more of a sympathetic figure and it kind of says he wasn't just like the all-out bad person, right, that he is kind of uh, viewed to be following the events of the Incredible Hulk sets him very like sets him up as a sympathetic figure and one that maybe – we'll have an opportunity for redemption later on, AKA in Thunderbolts. I think the way they're setting him up, like when Emil Blonsky is initially trying, working with Thunderbolt Ross, trying to basically take down the incredible Hulk. He thinks he's doing um, a duty like for the government. Right. And he, he thinks he's going to view himself as captain bloody America, as he says, right? Like how he drops the bloody there, <laughs> but I think that this is a great opportunity. It seems like the Thunderbolts is a group that wants to earn redemption. When you think about John Walker, like Baron Zemo probably going to be there. I feel like Baron, he's going to take a very similar um, turn in this character as Baron Zemo did in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I feel like we're, we're going in that type of direction. Uh, and I kind of understood. I felt like the audience was also like Jennifer Walters in that situation where they're hearing Blonsky talk. And she's also saying like, yeah, maybe it wasn't your fault that the government was pumping you with this freaking serum that turned you into a monster and seemed like he has control over it. Maybe MCU fans won't like the comedic elements that are now attached to the abomination, but it kind of has to fit in here. Um, but I just like the idea. It might take the path of Zemo and we could actually get more Tim Roth in the MCU. You think that's a possibility here? 
Yeah, I think the Thunderbolts is a great path for him. That would make sense to add to the group as well, the crew, different variation there. Um, I think that we forget the Incredible Hulk as a movie. He was destroying the city, and then Hulk had to jump out of a helicopter to save the city. Yes, but he also didn't know what he was doing, apparently. And I, I don't know if he had control over abomination at that point he says he now has control over me he can bring him out whenever he wants similar right. to like a jennifer walters a she hulk maybe he didn't have that capability beforehand or maybe just learn from his decision uh or from his past i guess right while he's been in prison but it's i i did grow I a grow sympathy for him just saying and I, I more of like empathy like more of understanding of his character and maybe he's not the same level of evil as a lot of other mcu villains in my opinion Right. Um, right. And then just quickly um, talking about the Shang-Chi. Oh, yeah. We're not done fight. with this scene for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like the reason why I call it a variant. OK, is I'm assuming, hey, like if, if it's not a variant, then clearly he's just lying through his teeth about the redemption. Namaste. Right. And then escaping prison. But the reason why I think it's a variant or it could be a variant is because if you remember in Shang-Chi, Wong is talking to Abomination saying, like, you're pulling your punches and things like that. So it's clearly not the first interaction they've had together. So he's been escaping prison all this time. It Really? Because he clearly has a relationship and Wong's not going to visit him in prison. So I'm just interested if, if and the guards clearly aren't in on him, like, leaving every week to go to this underground fight club. So I definitely think it's two different people. If it's like a consistently a consistent thing where he goes to this underground fight club, or so you're goes so you're basically so you're basically on the idea that Wong has an established relationship in Shang Chi, and there just there might be two abominations in the show. Yeah, one might be the villain of the show, Correct. alongside Titania. I like that theory just based on like those interactions from Shang Chi, but I think it also helps establish with that scene and that callback to Shang Chi with the underground fight scene. That um, where we are in the MCU timeline, I think people were oh, assuming this was after Shang-Chi, but this is happening during those events, which I think was a smart way of putting us in, like giving us more of clarification where we are in that MCU timeline. And it also provides that connection, how Wong is going to be associated in the show. And Wong, the star of Phase 4 in the MCU, if we're being <laughs> honest, when is he, he going to get his Disney Plus series? I can't wait. Like I was wondering how Wong is going to be associated here, but I guess it was kind of obvious that it was going to be abomination. But now we have that entry, right? Probably going on next episode because Jennifer Walters is going to have to track him down, assuming that is the same abomination that has escaped prison. If Wong ever gets a Disney Plus show, then they should just stop Marvel altogether. <laughs> I I did have a like I this was going through my mind. Um, the fact when Jennifer Walters is walking through, right, the law firm that hires her, right, Holden Holloway is bringing her through, right, showing her the ropes, forcing her to walk as She-Hulk. They have a superhero division now within the law firm, this major law firm that gives them very lavish working conditions. It just makes me think we have too many heroes. There's too much. And it's I just, agree. it's there's such an influx. And I think this is going to help lead into segue into like the easter egg that everyone's talking about from this episode the reference to the one and only wolverine but before we get to that i just want i just i just feel like people aren't shocked anymore by what they see you have to go to other planets because they're just like i feel like the whole world is overpopulated with superheroes and nothing is surprising anymore there's got to be stakes that are way high for these characters right to actually do something about it and then it even talks about um, Jennifer Walter's mother at the family dinner says that she has a superhero friend that she wants to, she gave Jennifer Walter's number to. And I have a theory upon that that we'll get to, but I just feel like we're so overpopulated with heroes. It's just, people aren't shocked by it anymore. And that people don't feel like the danger that they did. Let's say when like phase three, when you have Thanos wiping out half the universe, it just doesn't feel this like that danger level anymore. Yeah, and you you sense that from the courtroom scene in the first episode. I completely agree. Like, I think that now that we're going to these secondary, third tier, fourth, even fourth tier characters, even more so than like an Ant Man, like I think that's telling something. So I definitely agree with you. 
yeah, it's just sprawling with characters now. It's just it's it's almost too much. Uh, let's go to the Wolverine aspect. I didn't see this. I didn't see this Easter egg. So first of all, uh, Jennifer Walters checks her phone from her mom, saying, "Are you coming to family dinner? What is the the uh, the uh, was it cover? What is it called? Co- What's well, on your phone? Background." Phone background? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, On the phone uh, background, screensaver. screensaver. It's, uh, I don't know, yeah, is that what it's called? But it's Captain America's butt, right? And they're obviously connecting the joke. But beyond the Captain America butt, in the bottom right corner on the screen, it says man with claws, like, basically tears up bar. And obviously that's a reference to Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And it has, that made me think about how the X-Men are going to be introduced in the MCU. And it I think it kind of points out that if they that the Feige doesn't plan on going back in time, maybe to show the origins of Wolverine. Instead, it's going to pick up where he is. Is he a part of the X Men? Is he not? Uh, I just want to get your thoughts. Any theories you have when you saw that headline? Yeah. So when I saw that, I immediately thought, okay, this kind of connects to several months ago where we had Taron Egerton rumored to be Wolverine, and I'm like, oh. Are we going to see him in this show at some point? And if they do that, then we got to tone down the Marvel D- Disney Plus shows because that would be so disrespectful. I think Wolverine is much someone that's had multiple solo movies, not a Daredevil where he was in a show before and a failed Ben Affleck movie. Love that movie. Sorry, it sucks. But yeah, I love it. This is Wolverine. And we're going to put him down to this level. I think that would be incredibly disrespectful. And I think this is kind of showing you there's a potential for him to show in the, the, the show up in the show. I think that was intentional. They want the buzz to get going for the show. Yeah, I I would say it's less than 50% chance that he shows up in it just based on this headline. That might just be like a nice wink-wink for audiences teasing like the arrival of the mutants. But also at the same time, what I think of each of these episodes have a post-credit, every single one. And maybe the final post credit is where Wolverine com- is being charged with a crime, walks into uh, Jennifer Walters' office, and then we move on from there. That is like the literal last final post credit scene. Maybe they have two at the end because you got to show what Hulk's up to on Sakaar, right? Leading into the future of the MCU. But I could see that potentially happening. Um, but I don't think it's a strong chance. I think they're saving Wolverine for a much bigger stage as opposed to a daredevil who's getting a TV show. You know what I mean? Like Wolverine, I, d- I doubt he's getting a TV show. He deserves the, on, on the large screen presence, you know? Yeah. All right. I don't, I don't mind that. And then I want to talk about the phone call that Mrs. Walters, right? Jennifer Walters, mom talks like the, the conversation they have at dinner. She gives her uh, a phone number of a friend who works at a coffee shop to Jennifer. I think this has got to be Frogman. This is going to be Frogman in the trailer. It's been teased. I doubt it's Daredevil. Daredevil does not work in a coffee shop. He's in Queens. He's uh, in uh, Hell's Kitchen. I think I brought home did a Spider-Man connection there instead. They uh-huh. talked about wanting to use the like, characters in the Spider-Man universe. Maybe this is what they had in mind, like someone that needs to be represented, like the mom knows, the family friend. And Frogman is like a very much like a kick-ass type of superhero, one that doesn't have powers but wants to be a superhero. That would make sense on why like her mom has connections to this other hero, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that, that this is the segue to get to know Frogman. If someone wants to be a superhero, they probably don't have superpowers. So it definitely has to be something in that realm. So Frogman would make sense. I, as we're like kind of wrapping up, because I, like, I think that was, this is the big part. I guess the main takeaway from episode two it's kind of like what the future holds because as we said, a lot of chatter in this episode, not a lot of action. I think it's setting up a big episode three after kind of a lackluster episode two. Uh, any other further predictions that you have all right, for this show or even for the wider scope of the MCU? Uh, no, honestly, probably not. I think that we're officially settled in now. I think this was another like setup episode. Hopefully, we're officially settled in. I think in all, Jennifer Walters, um, played by Tatiana Maslany, I'm officially, like, I'm in on her. I, I think she's good. Officially, mm-hmm. now, now back-to-back episodes, officially in. I think she's good. 
Um, but prediction wise, like I think with the Hawkeye comment, does he show up? Probably not. Is he in California too, though? I didn't think so, but because he's he's leader of the West Coast in his name. Okay, well, it would make sense because they mention him, so maybe mm. he does show up. That's so, a good. That's I like that. I guess on top of everything else that I've said, I guess Hawkeye would show up just based off that one quick yeah. comment. They're setting up the West Coast Avengers. That's what they're doing with the Frog show. Frogman, She-Hulk, Hawkeye. Is that? I it? don't know. I don't know who else. Uh, you could do. You could throw. Uh, well, she's in the Young Avengers, but I was thinking uh, Haley Steinfeld's uh, Kate Bishop. Oh yeah, right. But uh, she's New they, York. but it just seems like that's what they're kind of setting up here. Like these different teams throughout like the world, which is kind of cool. And I just noticed that because I I, I totally forgot. That I believe he is in California now. One one Clint Barton with the fan. Uh, tight. Uh, did you see on Twitter like Titania has her own Twitter account now? No. Is yeah. So I think he, it 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 shows clips of her outside the episode, just ones that she posted of Titania, like spray painting billboards and like signs of Jennifer Walters as She Hulk, like basically canceling her out. But I don't understand how she's doing this because she's got to be in prison right now. Oh my god! And also, a cringy moment of the episode is like the beginning when they call her a super, like a superhero influencer. Do you remember that? Oh god, that yeah. was a cringy part of the episode. It made me shake my head. That was tough. I also the walk in the office. That might have been the worst CGI Marvel's ever done. It didn't oh, look yeah. like she was even real, like there. It looked like she was. It looked like uh, she wasn't even walking. That's how bad the CGI was set up. It was, it was embarrassingly bad. I I I I balked when I saw it. It was horrendous. I like didn't even bring it up because I thought it was just like everyone just assumed it was just terrible. The like, judging from that clip that we got for a teaser for today's episode, it just was bad. Bad, 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 bad. I don't know if it's gonna get better either. Um, any other final thoughts before we wrap up this reaction? I'm just looking at this West Coast Avengers members list here. Oh, I like this. There's a lot of different areas that they could go in. So Clint Barton is like the number one founder here. Um, you got War Machine mixed in here. Scarlet Witch. Um, the Thing. Iron Man. Moon Knight. The Wasp. Like You have a bunch of recruits and a bunch of Ooh, other people. Ant-Man, right? That's that's Cal that's San Francisco. Mixed in there, yeah. And um the wasp. Um so it's it's gonna be interesting what they do. Wonder Man, there's rumors of a Wonder Man TV show. There's a, there's that, a series coming. Yeah. So Wonder Man's also a founder, along with Hawkeye and War Machine. So I actually don't hate the your thinking there. What I just don't see is Frogman. I don't see She-Hulk. Frogman, I don't think he's going to be a player. Like He's not going to be in Secret Wars. I think he's going to be in this show and just be like an ancillary character for the remainder in the MCU. Like I don't, I think it's just like a nice, like they're giving him something. You know, I don't think he's going to be an Avenger or anything like that. Yeah. So I, I, I guess like I, I understand the rationale that we're just thinking of. I still, I'm on board with it. I just think they might change things up from the comics where the West Coast Avengers just might be. Yeah, Hawkeye, the founding members there, and then we just mix it up with other people because like Vision's another founding member, and yeah, White Vision. You're gonna have White Vision in the West Coast Avengers. That might be tough. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I just think it's uh, I think it's closer to happening than people think, and I don't think many people are discussing it. We're gonna think about different teams that are being formed right now. We talk about the Thunderbolts movie, Young Avengers are starting to shape up from these Phase Four projects. West Coast Avengers might be next. All right. That's going to do it for the episode two reaction. That's going to do it for episode 138 of the Drive-In Podcast. Make sure you're following wherever you're listening right now. We're available on all listening platforms. You also might be watching on YouTube right now. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you also look at our House of the Dragon uh, reaction episode to episode one. Right, That's on the feed. Make sure you also are tuning in for episode two of House of the Dragon and the reaction. That'll be out on Monday. Make sure to check it out. Uh, any movies coming out on next week, Ricky Flex? What do we got? So it's a tough weekend again. Three thousand years of longing comes out this weekend. Okay, but that's, that doesn't have a lot of you. that doesn't have a lot of momentum going right now. So maybe we got Lord of the Rings coming out next Friday. Hmm. That could be a potential 
like re like review potentially there of the movie a movie i don't know we'll see maybe we'll put it out to the audience draft maybe think. draft yeah so maybe we get a lord of the rings draft going a little bit we're gonna have reaction episodes for the rings of power versus house of the dragon it's gonna be crazy buckle up uh those will be coming out the same day so that is going to be a hell of an episode each week right for the foreseeable future uh make sure you're also following us on the social feeds twitter at the drive-in pod instagram at drive-in pod we're also i also forgot we're gonna have a guest on right well that will be unnamed we're gonna have a guest on for house of the dragon reactions so buckle up for that and potentially for the rings of power we can have a little variation there a little teaser for the folks at home all right, that's going to do it for 138. For Ricky Flex and Dr. Rowe, until next time, we will.